Hello, everybody. Welcome to 321 No Kidding. Bobby the Awesome here. And today I have a special guest from across the pond, as they say, right? Welcome, Matt Smith, to 321. Thanks, Bobby. Good to see you. So I kind of stalked you a little and, and wanted you as a guest. Um, I love what you're doing over there, and I really would love for you to share it. But how about laying the foundation and introduce yourself and maybe why you're in the field that you're in? Yeah, thanks. Well, I mean, I'm just uh, coming up to eight years in recovery myself from uh, gambling and uh, I mean, sobriety as well for the same amount of time. So um, I uh, I have a real passion for this for this work. And um, I'm fortunate enough now to uh, be head of external affairs for a charity called Bet No More UK. And um, yeah, I mean, my journey of recovery started back in 2014. Uh, I went through a treatment centre, I went into rehab, uh, not as scary as it sounds, you know, and um, as most people know who've been through rehab, it's not all kind of white fluffy dressing gowns either. Uh, <laughs> it's quite a lot about learning about yourself, you know, and um, it's a bit like going back to school, really. And, you know, I worked for a long time in the media. I worked 14 years in radio and television, uh, worked for a very uh, large radio station here in the UK called Talk Sport. Uh, I spent 12 years of my career there. Um, I headed up major live sports events. I traveled the world watching sport for a living. Um, and then I went uh, after that, I went and worked for FIFA for a little while. And then I crashed and burnt and ended up going into rehab. So um, it took me some time to kind of decide what I wanted to do. Um, and, I, and I'll get into the nuts and bolts of my recovery as we go along. But just this is kind of a brief overview to say that I didn't know what I wanted to do when I when I came out of rehab. I knew, knew I had to focus on myself and build my life again because it, it had literally crumbled to the ground. I had nothing. Um, and I just did some odd jobs here and there, worked in a furniture shop for a while, so a completely different change of job and career just to keep a roof over my head and earn some money. And then eventually the opportunity came up to come and work for Bet No More. And I've been here for well nearly two years now, which <laughs> has absolutely flown by. It's gone so quick. Uh, and, you know, we're doing some really, really good work at the moment, which I'm super proud of everybody who works with us. Um, we've got plenty of people with lived experience of gambling working with us as well. So, um, yeah, we're doing some really good things. I want to dive into that. But I had two questions as you were doing your introduction. When you went into rehab, was it strictly for, was it strictly an alcohol facility or alcohol and drugs? Like, did they have a gambling specific program? No, they didn't have a gambling specific program. So they run the 12 step uh, model in there. So basically um, I knew the, uh, the, um, the manager at the project. So I call Paul Spanger at the Providence projects here in Bournemouth, where I am now. And it's predominantly a drug and alcohol treatment centre. But I'd met Paul a couple of years uh, previous and he remembered me. And because there is a real lack of funding for treatment in the UK, and we don't have like health insurance in that, that sense that you have in the, in the US. Um, I'm very grateful that Paul gave me a charitable place. So I was able to go there um, and, and they took care of the cost for me. So it wasn't um, it wasn't gambling specific, but I did regularly go to Gamblers Anonymous meetings while I was there. And because I was in there for alcohol as well, I kind of picked it up very quickly in terms of, you know, the, the need um, to, to kind of work on both things while I was there. OK, thank you. Well, as I was telling you, 
I was on the hovercraft and go figure the person I sat next to was a drug and alcohol counselor there in the UK. Oh, and wow. I was, I was picking her brain too. And it didn't sound like we have different certifications in the gambling realm. Um, but we only across the whole country, we only have six inpatient uh, gambling uh, recovery or inpatient rehabs across the whole country. And there's, you know, so it's part of the whole raising awareness piece. So that's why I was curious. Um, and then when you were talking about the sports, was sports betting your problem? Is that where where you gambled most in it through because of your career watching sports? Yeah, it's, it's everybody asks me this question. It's a strange answer because I hardly ever used to bet on sport. So I was surrounded by sport. I, I probably went to like over 500 Premier League soccer matches, you know, football matches uh, here in the UK you know, World Cups, Champions League, everything, but hardly ever used to bet on sport at all. Um, occasionally horse racing and occasionally dog racing, but I was more of a, um, like I'd play at the blackjack at the casino or mm-hmm. uh, online um, online casino. Um, so yeah, very rarely was it sports betting for me, which people find strange work, you know, that I worked in that industry and didn't do that. I, yeah, it was just, it just felt like they went together and I, I was compelled to ask you that. Yeah. Um, so how old is Bet No More? Bet No More started in 2014. Uh, sorry, the end of 2013, very late 2013, December. So nearly eight, uh, eight years old now, um, coming up to nine years old soon. And um, it started off with Frankie Graham as chief executive, uh, who has lived experience of gambling as well, by himself as as what we call here in the UK, a social enterprise. Um, So he got a very small amount of funding to try and do some community projects around gambling and some outreach work in the communities to, to kind of, to meet people, you know, on the ground and help them and support them. And, uh, and then now uh, we're in 2022, nearly 2023. And I think there's about 27, 28 of us coming up to. So we've grown from one person to that many in, in quite a short space of time, really. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm. Yeah, I, I did a little snooping on the website and it looks like a pretty um, robust team between the the board and, and the active employees. And I love you keep using the term and I want to adopt this now that you are teaching me it, lived experience. Yeah. Um, is it important to you? I don't want to blur you with my opinions on this but is it important to you the language that we use in recovery like you're not saying that um it's people that are addicts or that have had an addiction or whatever you're saying lived experience and that really has a nice ring to it in my opinion yeah i think what it does is there's a real stigma isn't there attached to to gambling addiction and calling somebody an addict and you know so i think using that term lived experience which which actually you know i spoke to a few people in the us recently and they hadn't really heard or that term is not so popular there it's not so commonly used as it is here in the uk we either refer to it as lived experience or an expert by experience and you know let's be quite honest um people like myself who've got this experience of gambling harm um, have paid quite an expensive price to sit in that chair and have that experience. Actually, you know, it cost me more 
to get that experience than it did to go through university. So, you know, let's let's do the, you know, when we talk of it like that, it's, uh, you know, it was a very costly experience. But actually, it's really sought after now, this type of lived experience, because whatever part of the sector you work in, whether that's in the industry or whether you work uh, for a treatment provider, that having that kind of middle person, that person with the, those experiences can feed into all types of information. I mean, I have to say and share with you that I'm not anti-gambling. Um, I, I can't gamble normally, clearly. When I gamble, I cannot stop. But there are a lot of people who gamble for fun and can gamble normally. But we have to raise awareness to support those people who can't gamble normally and who can't gamble like they enjoy it or who might be vulnerable who or who suffer from gambling harm and those are the top those are the people that we're looking out for so yeah the the term lived experiences across everything we do at bet no more as a charity and that runs right through the organization as i mentioned frankie our ceo um our board um who govern us uh, have lived some of them have lived experience um i have lived experience i think there's two or three of us on the senior management team and then right throughout the organization so we we build the support programs we build the training programs and we deliver them as well so and i, and I do have to just make one point is that although there's a lot of us with lived experience there's some that aren't but those people who don't have lived experience completely understand where we're coming from they and we have some fantastic colleagues who do some fantastic work who are experts in in other areas but they just don't have lived experience of gambling harm well i'm gonna do my best to integrate that into my language i really really love that and hopefully uh we can, we can change because you're right. It is the stigma. And then depending on belief systems, you know, what we say is, is what we become, or um, it's something that I've struggled with lately. Uh, the more I learn as I go to 12 steps, some of the language, even of being powerless or, you know, I want to be in control and it's all up for interpretation, of course. Um, but I'm really, I'm going to borrow that because I think it's very applicable. And then you said there's there's folks at Bet No More without lived experience. And my first thought, and, and please tell me if this is true, if there's families involved, it kind of makes sense to have people who don't have lived experience to be better resources for the people that are the gamblers in their life. Is that appropriate? Yeah, it is, absolutely. And one of the, one of my colleagues has, we actually say that she's got lived experience, but she, she doesn't have direct lived experience, but one of her family's members was, was, a, was a gambler. So she has the experience of being somebody affected by gambling. Um, but it is, it is really important that we have that, um, that view on things as well, particularly when we look at designing support programmes for people who've been affected. I mean, if we look at the figures in the UK, and I don't really like to talk numbers too much, but for every one person that gambles, they probably harm around 15 to 20 people around them, whether that's mm. their parents, their siblings, uh, their friends, their work colleagues, their neighbours. In some way, they may well harm those people around them as well. So it's really important that we have people who've got that experience as well as an affected other to feed in what we do. And then also... You know, my other colleagues who don't have any experience whatsoever, 
in terms of being affected or having gambling harm themselves. But they're also able to give us a view because the view that they give us, and they've worked, a lot of them have worked in this field for a long time. Um, they're either able to give us a research view. They're able to give us an overview on the health sector and what that looks like and how that feeds into the work we do. Or governance, for example, as a charity, we have to be governed. So, you know, all of these types of things, we, we find it useful that we've got like a kind of broad range of skills um, throughout the organisation. Yeah, that's brilliant. That makes a lot of sense to me. So we were talking also earlier about, well, I, I guess I have my perception of British culture, right? Or or my experience is very little, six weeks. Um, and I have this impression about what gambling, problem gambling looks like there. Um, can you share maybe what it looks like? Because honestly, not just talking numbers, but the UK and Australia are the two countries that listen to my show behind the US. So there's something going on there. Um, I I talk about it when people ask me when I started, I'm like, well, I was going to arcades at five, six years old, put the money in, get the dopamine hit, get the reward. Like, And I tell parents, I'm not a parent myself, but I'm always trying to let people know that's what you're doing. Instead, go outside and play ball or something. But um, can you tell me what the landscape of that looks like in your country? Yeah. So first of all, I'll start off maybe just talking from a personal view. So um, I attend Gamblers Anonymous meetings. That's my recovery. Um, that's uh, the program that I follow. And uh, I'm also a trustee for Gamblers Anonymous in the UK. So, you know, I'm heavily involved in in, in the fellowship. And in my group here in Bournemouth, we started off, you know, probably a year ago, let's say there was maybe 15 regular, regularly attending. There's now around 25 regularly attending. So we've gone up even just in the last year. I mean, the, the group's been running a lot longer than that. In fact, we've got two GA groups here in Bournemouth. So for, for a, a town of this size, uh, which is about 350,000 people, that's quite a lot, actually, you know, um, so we've got the two groups and they're, and they're busy. You know, people are coming and new people are coming um, from a from a work point of view. And from the charity point of view, we're seeing a lot more people access our services. I think particularly because we're coming out the other end of COVID as well, where there was some people that perhaps started to gamble during that period because they were concerned about how they were going to um, pay their bills and so forth. And although there was money that came through from the government through the furlough scheme, um, people weren't getting their full salary, so they may well have started gambling. And also a lot of people became vulnerable during that period. You know, they were isolated and, um, you know, they couldn't go out. They couldn't see their friends. They couldn't socialize. So people may well have turned to gambling then. You know, I think not ne you don't necessarily have to be vulnerable before you start gambling. The vulnerability can come during gambling. And, and as we know, that vulnerability can hit anybody at any time. You know, all it takes is a change in personal circumstances, which can happen in changing a second and we become vulnerable. So we've seen a lot, a lot of that. And I think what we're going to see as well in the future is that we're in a, in a global cost of living crisis, you know, where prices are rising, inflation is rising and people are worried about how they're going to pay their energy bills, um, how they're going to um, pay their bills, uh, the, the fuel bill for the car, how they're going to heat themselves. 
And people may well turn to gambling for that as well. But that will probably come later down the line that we'll see those people come through our services and, and others um, needing that help. So the way we're set up as um, as a charity, we're actually we're part of the National Gambling Treatment Service here in the UK. And one of our projects is called Peer Aid, which we work with uh, in partnership with another charity called GamCare. And typically what happens is um, somebody will phone the National um, Gambling um, Problem Gambling Helpline. They'll ask for some help and they'll be um, admitted to see a clinician. And when they see a clinician, um, uh, when I say see them, I mean, talk to them over the phone, they uh, would then be offered some kind of peer support. And that's what we offer. So we have this uh, this really popular peer support service where the peer supporter will work in conjunction with the clinician to help the client uh, along their journey. Because as we know, um, and clinicians do some great work, but actually somebody who has that experience of gambling themselves will have a particular special empathy and be able to help individuals a little bit better. So, yeah, problem gambling across the UK is it's, it's a big problem, but there's a lot more people working closer with each other now um, to, to, to start to help individuals. And, um, you know, part of that, uh, we call it the NGTS, the National Gambling Treatment Service. We're all trying to work together to to reduce that. And part of what the charity does, what our work is, is to reduce gambling harms. That's what we want to do. I love that partnership of, well, that you're all working together as a country instead of as a bunch of unified uh, organizations. That that thought crosses my mind quite a bit is what if, what if we all, everybody working towards the mission aligned, like what power would that be? So I love that you guys are doing that. Um, and then peers with a clinician um, is quite brilliant. Mm. It, it, it's, it makes a lot of sense to me because you're right as someone in recovery and, and I've been exposed to that. I've had the therapist and I've had the peer and the peer was for the group. And I never really thought of their role as specific. They just always were like the coordinators and they participated and um, the leaders would call on them to give us wisdom. Um, but I hadn't thought of the strategy behind it. So thank you for sharing that with me. It makes a lot of sense and, and probably helps a lot more people than meets the eye, I would think. Yeah. Uh, can I just tell you a little bit more about that peer peer support? Because um it's a very structured service so it's a little bit like gamblers anonymous in the sense that you have a sponsor and sponsee relationships but it's a structured setting so what happens is um for to become a peer supporter so to become that kind of mentor if you like you have to go through um you have to go through a training program which we provide and um it's a level two um, in gambling peer support. So it's a, a specific training program to gambling peer support. Now, I know in the US, talking to some friends and colleagues over there, you have drug and alcohol peer support, but not at the moment a gambling specific um, peer support. So this is specific. And the training is quite intense. Uh, you can do it like over a week. And we run the sessions and it's typically done over Zoom. Or you can do it over a three-month period, an hour every night for a few weeks. And then you have to um, do coursework at the end of it. 
and the coursework's quite intensive as well. So it's not like, okay, you, you answer a few uh, questions and you're going to get the certificate. It's not like that. It's, you know, it's, it's pretty intensive. Um, and at the end of that, once you've passed, we then give you, uh, we give the peer supporter their own mobile phone so that they can keep the work, the voluntary work that they do separate. Uh, we give them a dedicated email address. And then we, behind the scenes, or my colleagues who work on the peer support team, Matt and his team, um, they then match people. So what happens is GAMCARE will come to us and they'll say, we've got an individual. Uh, this individual um, also has problems with alcohol. Can you match them with a peer supporter who's also got problems with with alcohol as well as gambling being the primary issue. So we'll find somebody within our service we can match them with. And then they they then have maybe six or seven sessions or eight sessions together. And then we offer them health and well-being groups so they can come on um, a, a group as well and meet other other um, peers and you know start to build relationships and that support network. Um, and all the peer supporters that we have, they have clinical support as well from our clinician. We've got a psychotherapist who works with us, who gives them regular, regular, um, you know, help if they need it mm. and support. And the great thing about this service, Bobby, is that some people who's come through it as, as, as somebody who's come in and they said, I've got a problem with gambling. Can you help me? They've now become peer supporters themselves. They've got past the one year, they've done the training and some of them, have even gone on to full-time employment in the sector. So wow. you've taken somebody who has got all sorts of issues and complex problems and needs help, and then eventually they've gone into full-time work. And it's like, wow, that's like a real brilliant organic process. So now we started the we started this three years ago, and we've now got, I think we're just approaching 31 volunteer peer supporters, and nine people have gone on into full-time employment in the sector. Wow, that's incredible. That that seems pretty pretty fast. I mean, good fast. That's awesome. Actually, so you're given the ability for people to change jobs as well. Somebody like me who didn't want to work in the media any longer, you've given people the uh, you know the tools to say, actually, you know what, I really want to work in this sector now. What can I do? Um, so yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, that's great. Well, and they're they've gotten their the lived experience of bet no more. Like they know what the process is, which must help their training too, versus taking someone from the outside. So that's awesome. So I'm going to, I'm going to shift gears a little bit, if that's okay, Matt. Yeah. Why did you, why did you decide to give up gambling and alcohol? Oh, <laughs> wow. I told you I was shifting. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I hit rock bottom is a simple answer. Um, what happened for me was I was working overseas and um, I'd gambled everything. I'd, I'd gambled everything. I hadn't spoken to my own mother for 18 months at that point um, because I was so ashamed of my behaviour and what had gone on. Um, and I ended up coming back to the UK from a job I'd been doing uh, quite a, a good job as well, but I'd spent everything. I had nothing left. So I came back to the UK with one bag. That was it. I just had one bag with clothes. And I contacted somebody that I knew who I hadn't seen for a long time and said, I need somewhere to stay for a night. And I ended up staying there for about six weeks. And I was sleeping in this house 
on, on a camp bed on the floor. Uh, so I'd gone from this really good job working in the media in London, traveling around the world, watching sport for a living, earning good money, having a good life, great uh, family life, uh, really, you know, good friends around me to, to literally sleeping on a camp bed on the floor in a, in a stranger's house, really, because I hadn't seen them for so long. And one morning what happened for me was I woke up and I thought, oh, I don't want to live like this anymore. I cannot live like this anymore. Mm. Uh, I, I, I was my head was full of just regret, shame, anxiety, stress, and um, as I mentioned earlier, I I contacted the to Paul Spanger at the Providence Projects and said, Paul, I don't know if you remember me, but we spoke a couple of years ago, and he said, Yes, I remember you. Come, come, come now. And I contacted a friend of mine, and I didn't have many friends left, Bobby, to be honest. Like everybody had just cut loose, or they'd cut me loose. And I had one friend, my friend John, who who I worked with at Talk Sport, who still works there now. And I said, John, I need I need to go to rehab, but I haven't got the money for the train ticket to get to Bournemouth. Can you help me? Bearing in mind, I'd asked him a lot for money over the years and help, and you know, I just, but I was desperate to go because I knew I had this small window of opportunity in my mind that. It, I need to go now. If I don't go now, it's not going to happen. And he didn't contact me. He didn't get back to me for quite a few hours that day, I remember. And eventually he replied saying, here's the train ticket. He emailed he emailed me the train ticket and said, here it is. I'm sorry it took me so long to get back to you, but I had to check you were going. I had to call them to check you were going. Um, and that was it. He gave me that and that was it. I was ready to go. Um, so yeah, I mean, really it was rock bottom for me. That's what I, I'd hit rock bottom and I need, I needed help, but I was desperate for help. I was desperate for, um, I was desperate to have a normal life again, Bobby. I'd had this life of stress and anxiety and, you know, that feeling of waking up every, and you know, this, you wake up every morning with your head just like that, you know, and now I wake up every morning and my head is peaceful at peace. And it's like, wow, that's, you know what? It doesn't matter about having this nice home I live in now or the money I earn or the, all the um, things that I've got in my life. The most important thing I've got is that peace of mind when I wake up every morning. That is what resets me every single day. Yeah, that's, you just reminded me of, I was a slot player. And when you said sleep and waking up in the morning, if I was gambling, I couldn't fall asleep because I was seeing the back of my eyelids were slots, like looking for oh, that wow. one more bonus round. Um, cool. Yeah. And, and so you're right. The, the convolutedness of it, the lack of rest and taking care of ourselves. And um, I'm with you like material things. They're so much more achievable when we're not gambling, but they're so less important too. It's crazy. I know. <laughs> so I mean, you know, I just like things for me, like when I was gambling, I couldn't even, I, I couldn't even, I didn't even have, I, I did not have the money or even if I did, couldn't even spend it on a packet of cakes or biscuits or a chocolate bar because I, I'd be like that gambling money, you know, I couldn't mm -hmm. even feed myself you know, physically. So you're, you know, it wasn't, and now today I don't have to worry about those things. You know, I can do what I like. And, and that for me is the biggest gift, you know, being able to have that freedom, you know, um, just that freedom to make choices. So what led you to bet no more? 
So you, you've come out of treatment um, and you feel good. Like what, what happens to bring you to bat no more? And, and yeah, I mean, oh. <laughs> a long journey. I mean, I went through treatment, came out of treatment, got very lucky because I, I needed somewhere to live when I came out of treatment. And I got very lucky that um, somebody I went through treatment with said, Matt, I'll help you with the deposit for a, for um to, to, to rent an, a, you know, an apartment. And um, we got on quite well in treatment and he's quite a wealthy guy. And he said, I'll help you. And he did. And he helped me. And, and also thankfully I managed to pay him back every single you know, part of that money that he lent me to get that deposit, which when I was gambling would never have happened, you know. No. Um, so that that felt good as well. And so, so first of all, I had the roof over my head. I had that, you know. And then a friend of mine who I met in the in Gamblers Anonymous said, Matt, come and help me a few days a week, just uh, working on a, a market store with him, you know, selling flappers. That's what he used to do. It's a completely different job for me. You know, I've been working around the world with professional sports people to working on a market, you know. So my ego had gone crashing down to earth. But this is what I needed, Bobby, you know, to meet real people and experience uh, real life again. So I did that for a little while with him and then did some other odd jobs. And then I got a job in, in a furniture shop um selling beds now during this time i was still trying to get back into the media i was still trying different ways how can i get back in but every door was getting closed and you know a lot of that was because how i behaved when i was gambling i just didn't have the contacts anymore um it was just proving really really difficult and I, did, I worked at this uh, furniture shop for a while and one day I got offered uh, a job interview. I actually got offered a job interview at Chelsea Football Club, uh, which is a Premier League soccer club here in the UK. And um, I shared with them my story about my mental health and what had happened. And they were like, the lady I spoke to was brilliant. She was like, you know what, Matt, we'd really, we'd rather have somebody like you who's gone through recovery working for us and somebody who's currently not doing that stuff, you know, uh, we'd like to see you again. Will you come back and see us again and let's have a second interview and let's try to get this moving. I was like, fantastic. Wow. What an opportunity. And I was on the train home uh, from London and rather than the, the kind of the pound signs flashing up in my eyes, like, wow, this is going to be brilliant. You know, I'm going to earn good money again. I'm going to have a good life again. I thought this isn't for me. I don't want to go back to them. I don't want to go back to that world of sport or media. Mm. I just don't want to do that. I don't want to move back to London. Bournemouth's my home now. I've made my friends here. Friends that I've never felt so connected to in my life, you know? Like I've got friends here that I've felt more connected to than I ever have to anybody. I don't want to leave that. And um, so I got, you know, I got in touch and I said, look, I don't think it's for me. I loved meeting you. Thank you. But it's not for me. So that happened. And I'm back to square one again, you know, working in a place I didn't really want to work, just earning money. And then. Um, and then. Uh, I'm just trying to go back really here. Yeah. So then COVID comes along. You know, and mm. things change. I'm working in a shop and here in the UK, shops closed, lockdown, shops closed. It was considered to be, um, uh, you know, it wasn't an, a necessary uh, shop that needed to open. So it closed and um, 
thankfully, I, I still got my salary, but um, my mental health, you know, started to suffer a little bit because I didn't have that routine anymore. But what it did do was give me a little bit of an opportunity to start looking for jobs. Um, so, yeah, in, um, I think it was about October or November 2020, uh, seeing a job to work on uh, the peer aid program, which I've just been talking to you about, peer support program as a peer coordinator. And Matt Blanks, the uh, service manager, got in touch with me. I did an interview and um, I'd actually interviewed for another job somewhere else, not in the same uh, field, but something else, actually working uh, around prisons at the same time. Um, but Matt rang me, I think it was literally like one week before Christmas to tell me that I'd got the job. Oh, wow. And I was like absolutely over the moon because I'd been stuck in the in this furniture shop for like two, two or three years, nearly feeling like my life wasn't going anywhere. Um, and and I'd actually never tried to get a job in a charity before or gambling uh, support. I'd never even tried that. It hadn't even occurred to me. I mean, this is the... This is the thing about recovery sometimes where you think you're making progress in areas of your life, but actually the the, the stump, stuff right in front of you, you can't see it still. You know, that's where we're still growing, aren't we? You know, and I thought, why haven't I tried this before? Why had I not looked into getting into something like this before? Because I'm really p passionate about recovery. So Matt uh, gave me the opportunity and then um, I met Frankie and the rest of the team. And I stayed with the peer aid team for a year and Matt and I had an honest conversation and Matt was great. I've got to say, he was my line manager at the time. And I said, Matt, you know, I love working with you guys on this program, but I feel like I can, I can do more with Bet No More as a whole, not not just this program that we run. I feel I can, I've got a lot of, um, a lot I can give to the training side and I feel I've got a lot I can give more to the uh, charity side. And I'd like to explore that opportunity with your blessing, you know. And he said, absolutely. So I spoke to Frankie, our CEO, and Frankie said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to get you more involved to do more things because you've got clearly got a wealth of experience from your background in the media. We'd be, you know, it'd be a bit, a bit silly of us not to take that up, really, because pe charities are screaming out for that those kind of skills, which they normally wouldn't have the opportunity to have. So... That, that was it then. I was like, yeah, brilliant. So I started in this current role uh, as head of external affairs back in um, March of this year. And it's just been, it's been a whirlwind ever since. It's been brilliant. I'm, I'm, I love it. Well, I really, I think that you're doing fabulous. Because like I said, you're, now granted, I pay attention, but I still see you in a lot of places and, um, you know, the efforts of, of Bet No More. So I have to call out a few things in what you just shared, though, because I think that it's very scary to go, I'm going into treatment, and then what? Um, and, and your story, what you just, some of the words I wrote down was ego, accepting help, being humble, being transparent when you told those people at the soccer uh, football job, you know, um, that's a a topic for me that I think is really important and really um, freedom in recovery is when we don't hide behind it and, and continue to perpetuate the stigma um, and then doing the hard work and the sacrifice. Like that's what I, I just wrote down from listening to that, that gap of time. 
you didn't go into it entitled i'm clean now the world owes me you didn't you didn't do that you you didn't um hide you didn't so the reason i'm pointing this out is because handling it and looking at it through the lens of how you did it shows that those actions breed success that that's what I picked up on that. And then, you know, you get to create your ripple in the world by doing something like bet no more or that job. And, and, um, have you heard of this? This is going to sound wacky, but I just discovered it this morning and it aggravated me. Have you heard of this term quiet quitting? No. Okay. I don't like the sound of that either. (laughs) Well, it, it, one of the big TV guys here had had something on LinkedIn and I caught a piece of it. And essentially it's an employee has mentally checked out of their job. They don't believe in doing above and beyond. And they just like, they've didn't quit the job because they want their paycheck, but they won't do anything more. They'll just ride the status quo. Mm. Um, which I really not, I've done it before at different times, but for different reasons, this is basically the the theme that kept coming up is, You're not paying me. I'm working my wage, they kept saying. I'm working my wage. Um, So what you said was the exact opposite of all this noise that I heard this morning. And I love it because it shows you didn't raise your hand because you wanted a raise. You didn't raise your hand and volunteer to use your social media um, or your social, your sports stuff and your expertise to get something back other than the fulfillment of you giving back. Um, so I, I know I kind of went a little off the rails here, but those were important pieces to me because I I'm sure you see it in the rooms all the time, all these same stories of you go from pain to effort. If you do the work, all of a sudden the miracles start happening. Right. I'm sure they say that there as well. Yeah. And it's true. And and to demonstrate that and then to be spreading the world, you know, the message and and your efforts, like I said, they're getting spread across the wor- world, even though it's a, a UK specific project, um, your reach is happening. And that's really what it it's helping each other doesn't have lines like in a company. We all just want to help each other. So it's it's quite beautiful what you shared. So thank you, Matt. Oh, no, thank you. That was so kind of you to say all that stuff. It's really lovely to hear. And, you know, any job that I've ever done, I've never I've never been a quitter. Even when I was in jobs, I didn't really want to be there. You know, I knew that I could do better. I'd still give them everything. And actually, you know, when I left the furniture shop, they gave me, you know, a really good reference. You know, they knew they, they said we didn't expect to have you this long because we knew you. We know your background. We knew all about you so we were lucky to have you as long as we had you and that was really nice as well you know so um I've always been loyal in that respect and and actually that was one reason why I wanted to work with Bet No More further why I wanted to stay um because I spoke to Frankie our CEO and you know when you get a vibe off people and I got a vibe off Frankie that he's a very loyal man and I'm very loyal as well and I said that's what connects us you know, I feel that, um, and that's why I want to stay. So that's why that's why I'm still here. Love it. So, is there anything, Matt, that I didn't cover? I know I kind of didn't really. I went in different directions than I even anticipated. But is there anything that you want to share about Bet No More? About anything we've talked about um, that I didn't? Yeah, I just want to really just want to share, just to say, you know, um, yeah, check us out on uh, on Twitter on Bet No More. 
Uh, he's our Twitter handle. And Bet No More is, is no with a K. So B-E-T-K-N-O-W-M-O-R-E. Or find us on LinkedIn as well. And betnomoreuk.org is our website. And, and just to say, really, you know, thanks to all my colleagues, you know, who, who day in, day out, put in so much hard work, you know, uh, I'm not going to mention individuals, but you you all know, because uh, they will all listen to this, by the way, as soon as I tell them I've done this, they'll, be, they'll listen. Um, you know who you are. You know how much work you put in. And, you know, I just want to say I appreciate all of you, what you do, um, because they, they work really hard, um, you know, and they're really passionate about this as well, um, reducing gambling harm. You know, that's what we want to do. That's our mission. That's what we'll keep doing. We'll keep supporting people. And um, yeah, big thanks to them. And thanks to you, Bobby, for highlighting this as well and for having me on. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, like, I don't want to, I don't want to recover in silence. I want to show that there is a message and that, that there is some something positive and that I think we're both trying to do that. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome, Matt. Anything I could do to help anyway. Um, I definitely, you guys have my support completely and thank you for everything that you're doing. It was great to have you here. Thank you, Bobby.